Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter five. And this is, uh, <clears throat> we're going to spend some time in the teaching of Jesus. And this is, uh, growing up, this was actually one of my favorite scriptures. If, I, if you would have asked me, you know, growing up, what is your favorite verses? And I would have said Matthew chapter five. Um, and partially that was because it was the only, it was the only verses I knew. Okay. Like f fully. I, I remember it in uh, second grade, our, I went to a school and the teachers had, had us memorize Matthew chapter five, verse three through nine. And uh, it's known as the Beatitudes. And I could never get them straight. Like I couldn't get it word for word, but I, it was always something that was near to my heart. It was the, this, this sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. And so we're going to start in uh, Matthew chapter five. And it's at verse one, and it says, this is Jesus. Uh, he's about to give this new divine law. It says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. I want to just pause right there. It says, seeing the multitudes. Now, this is right after in chapter four, Jesus had healed a great multitude in chapter four. There was many demons that were cast out and physical healings that had taken place. And, and the people were following him. The crowd was following him. And it's, it, I think that this is an indicator to us that healing and the power of God alone are not enough to protect the heart. There's a lot of people that want to see the signs of God. They want to see the power of God. And how many of you know that is important? That's necessary. But that alone, the display of power, although it's needed, it's not guaranteed for a life well lived with Jesus. And so it says, seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. Everybody say a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And so here's Matthew, the, the one who wrote this book. He's pointing to Jesus as the king. Okay, he's using the mountaintop language to equate him to Moses when he delivered the law on Mount Sinai. And Matthew is introducing Jesus as the divine lawgiver, the one who is greater than Moses, the one who is the creator of Moses. And Jesus is about to establish a new order, a new law. And the scriptures are instituting here the highest law of the kingdom of heaven, the law of King Jesus, and we call these the Beatitudes. And so notice it says that he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. I want us to notice that the disciples always come to Jesus. They're, they're a bit different than the rest of the crowd. There's the crowd that will follow him, but we see there's this distinction between those that Jesus healed in chapter four and the disciples. Rather than remain in the crowd, these disciples came to Jesus, even if it meant scaling a mountain, even if it was a little bit tougher or a little bit more difficult or a little bit more inconvenient, the disciples were determined to come to Jesus on his terms. Are you guys with me? There's a distinction being made. Jesus was going up. He saw the multitudes. He went up to the mountaintop and who followed? His disciples came to him. 
This is something that I think we sometimes forget as believers. We whittle it down. We whittle our walk with Jesus down to what is convenient and easy. I'll come to Jesus when it's, when it's convenient. I'll come to Jesus if it fits in my schedule. I'll come to Jesus when he's presented to me. But may we never settle for that. You see, this is why so many people leave the faith because they don't actually come to him on his terms. It says he went up on a mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him and it says, then Jesus opened his mouth and taught them. How many of you know Jesus is our teacher? Amen? This may sound simple, this may sound easy, but how many of you know you have to come to Jesus in order to hear him? His voice is tied to his person. In other words, he's mo it's not very likely that you're just going to be going about your own business and he's going to interrupt in a moment. Can he do that? Certainly. But if we want to be people who are hearing him, we must come to him. If you want to hear from the Lord daily, you must come to the Lord daily. Make sense? His voice is tied to his person. And this coming to the Lord is meant to inconvenience us. How many of you know it can be easy to come to Jesus when he's in the meadow or when he's sitting beside the hill? But if Jesus is on the mountain, how many of you know we must still go? Because we have no other plan. We have no other options. He is life, and there's nothing that we have besides him. How many of you have ever wondered why, when Paul said, he, Paul said, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. The dead in Christ rise first. Anybody ever wonder about that? You know, it's, a, it's an interesting concept because it's because they died in faith. How many of you ever died in faith, right? I'm talking physical death. We can't raise our hands. Most of us can't raise our hands to that one, right? But they died in faith and the Lord is choosing to honor them because of that. There's, there's something that is holy about facing that moment in faith. Something that none of us have had to face before, death. Physical death. And Jesus is saying that is worthy of great honor. Because when things didn't look right, when it didn't make sense to their theology, when they never expected a disease or sickness in their body, and they were taking their last breath, can you imagine that? They still chose to trust him and put their faith in him. Is there anything more beautiful than that? How many of you know it's important for us to follow him when it's difficult? When God is not fitting into your box, when he's not fitting into you, the way you think he should be, how many of you know it's still important that we come to him and put our trust in him? Amen? Are you guys with me? 
the Lord is worthy of honor. And so we follow him when it's easy and we follow him when it's inconvenient. Amen. And Jesus says this in verse three, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Everybody say poor in spirit. Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are not the know-it-alls. They're not the ones who have all the answers. The poor in spirit, they reject the opportunity to bring judgment to people. The poor in spirit are more aware of their own weaknesses than the weaknesses of others. The poor in spirit don't ever feel like they've arrived. Like I know all things, me and God, we're, we can never be better. You see, when God uses the poor in spirit, they are as shocked as the rest of everybody else. And with every year that passes by, the more wisdom that they gain, the more accolades, the more accomplishments, the more achievements, the more they are blown away that God said, I want to use you. You see, when we start off in our journey, we can come up with a list of reasons of why God would call us, why God would choose us. Well, he, he, he called me because, you know, I'm so gifted. He called me because I got really nice hair. Right? It's attractive. No. He called me because I'm smart. He called me because of my giftings, because of my talents. We can come up with this long list. And in his patience, he bears with us. But the longer you walk with him, the more you realize he died for one reason and for one reason only. He is gracious and loving. Amen? The kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit both in this age and in the age to come, right? When we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about his rule, his reign. And the kingdom functions in three phases. The kingdom was, his kingdom is, and his kingdom is to come. Just like the Lord. The Lord has no beginning. The Lord is reigning right now and he is to come. And so the kingdom of God belongs to the poor in spirit. And so for the poor in spirit, that means that while we are here, we can experience him. Our past is washed away because he's the Lord of our past. Somebody say amen. And they can experience the presence of the king for an eternity. I heard a pastor once say, if I don't meet him, when I read the scriptures, it just equips me to argue and to be right. When you're no longer poor in spirit, you begin to judge people. You begin to judge their motives. You begin to judge their heart, their intentions, and you begin, to you begin to make presumptions of what their heart is burning for. David called it this. He called it the great sin of presumption. To presume to know what is in other people's hearts. And so the question is, is how do we know that we're burning for the Lord? 
How do we know that we're completely his or that someone else is completely his? You know, in today's church, most people would judge it based on the level of that person's revelation. What's the last catchy thing they preached? What's the last catchy thing they said? Do they have a million followers on Twitter or X, whatever you call it now? Are they an influencer for the kingdom? Because then you know their heart's burning for the Lord. We can be so shallow. But John writes, the wheat and the tares won't be judged until the end of the age. You know, the thing about wheat and tares is they look exactly the same. There's a lot of things that look holy, but they're not holy to the Lord. And there's a lot of things that look lowly. And he is, could not be more pleased or honored. That's why scripture says, don't, be, don't despise small beginnings. Why? Because the Lord is there. The Lord is in the, the, the low moments, the humble moments. Being poor in spirit is vital. Being hungry, being humble, <laughs> being soft. Everybody say poor in spirit. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Amen. You know, I feel like, I, be, I, be, I was at a pastor's, gathering this week. And some of them asked, they're like, well, how long have you been pastoring? And I did the math and I was in shock and awe. I've been pastoring for 20 years. And I feel like I know less today than I've ever known. Now my heart is full. You guys with me? My heart is full but there's still so much to learn about his ways. May we never assume we've arrived, amen? Look at verse four, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Everybody say mourn. For they shall be comforted. If you are here today and there is pain in your heart, that's okay. because you get to bring that pain to the table of the Lord. We're not just meant to mourn for others. It's okay to bring pain to the table of the Lord. Did you guys hear me? And when you bring your pain to the table of the Lord, you are signing up to what? To be comforted by him. It's a part of the divine mystery it's a part of the witness to others that in the pain and in the suffering, in the disappointment of life, in the heartache, how do they still have joy? So mourning is okay. Amen? It's okay when you mourn in a holy way. In other words, you don't find your identity in your pain. You don't determine to stay in your pain. You're determined to only stay in your pain as long as the Lord wants you in your pain. 
And you hear that and you're like, wait, the Lord wants me to pain. How many of you know pain is promised in the kingdom? If, we got some younger people here and I, I want you to know it, it, the gospel is not shallow. It's not all meant to just be blessings and peaches and cream and roses. There's sorrow. There's difficulty. And the Lord wants us to go through pain and to bring it to him because you cannot know the man of sorrows outside of sorrow. See, when you surrender to the work of the Lord properly, the divine doctor, the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to comfort you and begins to heal you in a way that nobody else can. Amen? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be what? Comforted. Don't keep your mourning to yourself. How many, I, I don't know about you, but when I am going through pain, I tend to hunker down. I tend to get quiet. I tend to isolate. How many of you know we're not meant to keep our pain to ourselves? We're to bring it to the Lord and to those we trust. Amen. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And this is what I wanted to get to today. Verse five, blessed are the meek. Everybody say meek. Blessed are the meek for what? They shall inherit the earth. The word meekness means soft, supple, tender, pliable. When we don't give our heart to the Lord daily, we lose our tenderness. If we go through our days and we, we don't say, Lord, all I am is yours. I give my heart to you. Do what you want to do. We become hard. We become difficult to be shaped. We become difficult to be molded. And we're giving to our own ways, our own perspective, and we start to believe that we are the Lord without saying it. And we start to come up with terms of our service to him. We tell him things like how long we're going to serve and how we'll serve him. We begin to tell him what we will do for the kingdom and what we won't do as though we can negotiate with the king of ages. I remember I was... I had spent years, my wife and I, we directed youth camps for, I believe it was eight years. And how many of you know, you gotta be called by the Lord to do that? No, some of the best years of my life and the best moments of my ministry have been with young people. I joke, cause it is funny, but how many of you know, there's something precious to young people, to the Lord, their hearts. Anyways. I remember we, we were wrapping it up and we were going to pass it off and our time has, had come to an end. And, and I said something to the effect, I was in a meeting and I said something to the effect of, I'm done, I'm done with directing youth camps. And someone that I have admired for a long time, someone that I respect and someone whose voice I, I listen to. Afterwards, they said, hey can, hey, can I talk to you? And my heart dropped. 
because I was like, what did I just say? Like, what, what did I say? Where did I go wrong? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, it's one of those people that you don't want to disappoint because you admire them because they have a voice and a place in your life, okay? This is someone that I respected. And I remember saying, I'm done directing youth camps. And they, so they come up and they say, hey, can I talk to you for a moment? We all want fathers and mothers in the spirit until they correct us. It's easy to have a father or a mother when they say, you're great, right? Or they pat you on the back and they'll say things like, you're so anointed, you're so gifted. But as soon as they say, hey, can I talk to you? That's where the test comes. That's where the test comes of, am I meek? Am I able to receive this? And I remember they came and they said this, and I want everybody to say, ooh. They said, I didn't know dead people made requests and demands of the Lord. And I was like, well, that's a little extreme. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, I didn't know that you could tell him how you will and won't serve him in the future. And on the inside, I was like, don't you know what I've done? I, I've earned this. You guys with me? I deserve this. I deserve a break. I've laid my life down for eight years, for two weeks, I deserve a break. How many of you know that's pride? It's the opposite of meekness. And here's the thing. They said this. They said, don't worry, I've done it too. Just don't do it again. It was in love. But how many of you know if we're, our goals are the wrong thing, we hear that correction as hate. If we're more about building our brand them building our life in the Lord, we hear that and we say things like, they're not for me. They're against me. I knew they, I knew they didn't like me. Doesn't the Bible say the Lord corrects those he loves? How many of you know we need those moments? You see, if the goal is to build a platform, how many of you know that can be taken away? Do you know that? See it happen all the time. I see it happen to pastors all the time. They try to build a stage that they say is for the Lord, but it's really about them. I also see people who have surrendered all and those things still go away. Listen, everything that we will, so we spend so much time going after. How many of you know those things get taken away? They're temporary. And so if your goal is to build a career, that can be taken away. If your goal is to build a large ministry, that can be taken away. If those things are the goal, then when correction comes, it can feel like hatred. But if the goal is to become more like him, if the goal is to become more sanctified, refined, purified, prepared, and holy to the Lord, then you will love what most of the church rebukes. Are we here? And so if you are a follower of Jesus, how many of you know there's a transformation that's to be taking place? Amen. 
we're not meant to stay the same. We're not meant to stay in the same place. That's why it's that Pauline prayer in Philippians chapter three, where Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Sometimes we stop there. Oh, that I would know the Lord and the power of his resurrection, because man, that's awesome, right? That I would see the fire of God, that I would see the healing of God, the power of God. We all want that, don't we? Yeah, we do. And we should know that. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, but then it says, and the fellowship of his suffering. Notice this though, being conformed to his death. What is Paul saying? I want to know him so intimately. I want to know him in his power. I want to know his suffering even to death. I want to know him. Do we have that level of desire for the Lord? You see, sometimes we have to take our eyes off the now, what we feel in the now, what we are going through in the moment and begin to look at what, what is the Lord's long-term goal here? What is he really trying to do in my life? I will tell you the Holy Spirit's number one goal for your life. This is true for every person here. The Holy Spirit's number one goal for your life is to make you more like him. And that only happens if you're meek. That only happens if you're pliable, shapeable, moldable. When someone speaks against you, when someone betrays you, will you still trust the Lord? When someone takes advantage of you, will you get offended and leave the church or will you stay steadfast in your worship to him? The meek will inherit the earth. Our goal is to be like him. Our goal is Jesus. It's the Sunday school answer. It's beautiful. He is always the answer. Jesus is the answer for everything. And so the father is committed to rewarding his son. Amen. The father, has, has, Jesus has given it all. He has been given the name above every name. He is seated on the throne. And the father is committed to giving a reward to his son with a bride that is like his worthy son. And so I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I want Jesus to receive his full reward in my life. I don't want him to get to heaven and I just look like a used piece of trash because I just did everything for myself and now I have nothing. It's that scripture that we were reading in John chapter six. You look for the natural bread. How many of you know we need to hunger for the everlasting bread? Self-justification is the opposite of meekness. Think about this. And this is a struggle point for me because I want people to know why I'm right. Anybody else like to be right? I like to be right. Me and my son. I like to be right. I want to, and it's not just even for me. I want you to know 
what is right to me. I want you to know that the truth, right? And oftentimes people can come and when they say things to me, my immediate mode is I want to defend myself to say what my true intentions were. I want to defend myself and say, this is what I was really trying to accomplish here. There's that natural defense mechanism that we have because we want to be right. But how many of you know, it says the meek will inherit the earth. Self-justification is the opposite of meekness. Jesus did not defend himself to the point of death. Why? Because there is a greater judge in the room. He knew that even though he was standing before Pontius Pilate himself, God was there and he only said what the father would say. He would only do what the father would do. How many of you know that's meekness? Amen. And so what will the meek inherit? The earth. That's not too shabby. The meek will inherit the earth. The hard-hearted who have to be right, do you know what they inherit? Being right. That's your reward. And you might be right for a moment. You might get an applause for a moment and you get home, you've already forgotten your reward. But what do the meek inherit? The earth. The Lord promises the earth to the meek. And that's both now and in the age to come. That's now they get the meek are the ones they usher his kingdom, his reign and his rule here on earth. His presence comes to the earth through the meek. And in the age to come, the Lord assigns the earth in the age to come to the meek. And so when you get to that age to come, how many of you know there is an age after this? When you get to the age to come, you'll be glad that you were soft and supple. And so much of what we fight for right here and right now means nothing in the age to come. Our, our teams here at the church, I've been, telling, I, I've been telling them this, and they know I love them. I love serving with them. I love being around them. I love them as people. But they know that if they were all to disappear, that I could come and I could sit on these steps, close my eyes, and begin to minister to the Lord, and he would come. And vice versa. You see, we're all replaceable. How many of you know this isn't about us? It's about him. My goal, one of my goals, I've said, I've shared a few goals with you. One of my goals is that when I'm done doing this, whenever that is, that I'm more in love with Jesus than when I started. My goal for you is that you're more in love with Jesus than when, when I'm done. But this would be my third. When I'm gone, nobody notices because everybody's eyes are so fixed on him. It's all that matters. See, this is meekness. When we prefer others, when we prefer him, 
and we allow ourselves to be moldable and shapeable before him. You see, meekness does not fight for position. It doesn't fight to be right. Meekness is like when David, he fled the city when Absalom was in his house. You guys know the story? Absalom came and took what God had given him. And David said, I'm not going to fight for what God has already given me. Because if God has given it, no man can take it away. How many of you know there is no power on earth and there is no power in hell that can take away the fire of the Holy Spirit from you? I could come to the Lord at the end of the age and every person could point their finger and make accusations. Every demonic force could point every principality, every power, every angel, everything could point and make accusation against me and it would not stand because there is one who has said I'm worthy. You see, what we fight for, it disappears when he comes because the goal is to be like him, whatever that requires. Come blessing, come difficulty, come pain, come resurrection, come death, come whipping post, come walking on the Sea of Galilee. The meek inherit the earth. Oh, that I would know him. and the power of his resurrection. To know him in his suffering, even to death. Can we allow that to be our prayer? Can we allow him to be our goal? Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to close. Thank you, Lord. Let's just lift our hands to the Lord. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can have life in you. And Lord, that our everything is found in you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be about the right thing. Lord, that we would not get lost into the ways of this world, that we would not get lost in the cares and the concerns. Lord, if there is hurt in our hearts, Lord, we give that to you today. Lord, if there is pain, Lord, it's not that the pain means that you aren't there. It means that we just need to bring it to you because as soon as we do, we sign up to be comforted by you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that every heart here, Lord, that we would be people whose heart and affection is for you. Lord, that we would not come to you just for direction, but Lord, you are the one who is searching for affection. And Lord, may we be a people, Lord, who burn for you, who love you, 
who search for you in all things and declare that you are holy. Come blessing, come pain, come sorrow, come joy. Lord, you are faithful and you are good and you are worthy of it all. And so, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you promise great things, Lord, to those whose hearts are yours. And Lord, that your number one goal is for us to be like you. And so, Lord, may we have hearts that are soft and tender before you. May we have hearts that are shapeable before you. Lord, that we wouldn't be quick to defend, that we would not be people who are quick to judge, but Lord, that we would be people who daily surrender all that we are to you. And Lord, that you would shape us and mold us for your glory. Lord, we desire for you to receive your full reward. And so, Lord, we submit to your process. In Jesus' name. We all said amen. 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 Well, if you are here, just before you're dismissed, if you are here and you need prayer, we're going to have some people available up here to pray with you. Um, if you're new here, I'd love to meet you and say hello. But otherwise, you guys are dismissed. We love you. And... uh We're thankful. God bless.